everyone. Welcome to the Women Wide for Wellness podcast presented by Holistic Icon. I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Shalom. You may be thinking, does the world need yet another podcast? As a physician in practice, I have been intrigued by the fact that despite our education, despite the abundance of information and advancements in a country like ours, women struggle for decades with troubling symptoms to seek help, or even when they seek help, suffer for years before they can get a resolution. It is my obsession to understand one, this culture. Number two, understand how we can create health and move away from this preoccupation of diagnosing and managing disease. Therefore, one of my passions is to teach both my patients and people who come in contact with us as it helps me empower myself and them with the knowledge that our health is probably the one asset we all can control. This control begins with knowing all that has been known about it. It is not simply about knowing a disease and considering the right medications, which has been presented today as our only option, as it certainly might be the only option if we choose to do nothing different. But to truly live fulfilling lives, we need to know how to tap into our innate nature to heal. When it comes to health, there is a finish line and there is a timeline to get to it. We help you get there with a different way of thinking. If this podcast has helped you or opened your eyes to a different path, please take time to leave a positive review. And if you felt it fell short somehow, let us know how we can improve it. Let's get on to today's podcast. So welcome guys to another podcast. This is Dr. Shalom. This conversation is with a health coach, Lyle Hogan, and his really, his particular niche is type 1 diabetes. Now, if you are a type 2 diabetic or you don't have type 1 diabetes, you don't know anybody with type 1 diabetes, you may think, I don't need to listen to this podcast. But let me tell you to pause just for a moment. This conversation is interesting because it walks through this particular healer's journey of how He was ambitious to be someone, do something, and then life took a turn where he became a type 1 diabetic in his 20s, and that completely changed his whole life. A a long struggle with his blood sugar controls, not asking the right questions, completely trusting the medical system, Um, and somebody who really made an effort to learn how to deal with his disease process and got nowhere. So what made him shift? That's what I want you to listen to. How he decided he was going to take care of himself. He was going to really analyze and get to the bottom of this. And I've said this to you several times. Holistic and Integrative Center of Nova is the best place for you to find your best doctor, and that's always you. And that last part is what I want you to understand. You are the best doctor you can ever find. So listen to this conversation, take a pen and paper, write down anything and everything that makes sense to you that will help you get to the bottom of your own issues. So you can actually ask the right questions because remember, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions you can ask because you will seek what you're asking for. So. Without any further delay, let's listen to my conversation with Lyle Hogan. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Shalom once again for one of our podcasts. So today is going to be a very informative uh, conversation. I have Lyle Hogan 
I don't know if I pronounced that right. I always try. <laughs> so um, Lyle is actually a coach. He's a health coach, and it's a very interesting story. But most people who have this journey, they have actually a journey of healing. And I really want you guys to listen to his story in his own words, because I think I will dilute it since that's not my experience. But I will give you his background. He was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 20, uh, uh, 22. And after having gone through the medical system and realizing there was no true solution for his diabetes, he's found, he found his own path. And I really found his story very, very interesting, which is why he's a part of our podcast today. So, Kyle, welcome, and thank you for doing this, and thank you for sharing your personal story. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad you found my story fascinating. It seems boring to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the part. The reason it's very fascinating is you have really a great message for people, which I've been trying to convey for several years. So let's start with, um, were you, uh, when you got out of school, uh, high school, did you think you were going to be a health coach? No, no, absolutely not. Um, actually, to be honest with you, I never graduated high school. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's even better. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I left in grade 11 and uh, went out into the bush and was a full-time trapper. Full-time? Trapper. What is that? Trapping fur-bearing animals. Really? Oh, yeah. wow. That's so cool. I started like that when I was six. It? I started when I was six years old trapping. So I had 10 years as a career as a trapper, culminating with actually being with another trapper on his full-blown, his huge line, you know, thousands of square miles. Um, being at a different cabin every, every day, 15, 20 miles apart. And did that for the entire winter, plus spring beaver came back for that. Okay. And uh, that's what I was, that's what I was doing when I was very young. So I spent my, all my years growing up, basically being in the bush. Cause I lived in Northern Canada, Northern British Columbia. Okay. And yeah. you, did you think, uh, were you ambitious to become anything else besides that? Oh, absolutely. What I really wanted to be was an engineer. Okay. You know, and I, 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 I grew I grew up and, and saw the, the first landing on the moon. So, you know, yeah, building yeah. about space, right? So I, I was headed in that direction. Um, and then, you know, life kind of gets in the way in the middle of things. And I ended up going a different direction. But then my plan, uh, before I became diagnosed, I, I decided to become a deep sea diver. Okay. As you notice, there's a pattern of adventure here, right? Yeah, yeah, I see that. <laughs> so I attended uh, the College of Oceaneering in Los Angeles in 1984 and uh, did a couple of their courses. One of them uh, trained me to dive to 1,000 feet plus on mixed gases. And then the other one was a relatively new program called Diver Medic. So I was trained uh, at the paramedic school in Los Angeles where they trained all the paramedics. So we learned all of those skills plus suturing and mm -hmm. uh, mixed wing darts, a few other things. Because the, the challenge with, even though you could be on surface and in a chamber, you're in a chamber, uh, you, you have many, uh, sorry about this. Oh, no, no problem. I think uh, I reminded me to put my phone on airplane mode too. Yeah. 
Hang on, my bad. I like the ringtone, by the way. <laughs> As you can tell, it drives me nuts. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. Where were we in? Uh, so uh, we were talking about the diving and how. What are the things that you were learning? Oh, yes, correct. Yeah. So the. Uh, the, the diving was one thing, you know, that, that, that was great. It was, it was, I, I loved doing it, but I was really fascinated by the, the diver medic course. Mm -hmm. So I ended up being the top of the class, about 97.7%. And, uh, between all the practical and the, and the, and the written and everything else. And then I went back North again and waited to go, um, uh, become a diver because I wanted to travel the world. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, while I'm back in northern northern Canada, I went back to work. I was a, an oil field worker. Mm -hmm. Worked uh, operating oil wells, gas wells, compressor stations, looking after making sure everything makes it to everybody else that needs to buy it, right? The most boring part of your life, huh? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of equipment and engineering and that, I like that, right? Yes. But yes. I was always sort of a problem solver. That, that was the thing that the job initiated in me was problem solving because yeah. there was something frozen or something plugged or something blocked right, and I didn't right. understand, and I didn't understand the system. Well, I was new to it. I was 20 years old, yeah. 19 actually when I started. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So th that created that, that fascination of figuring out how things work. Mm -hmm. And once you figure out how they work, figuring out why they're not working when they should be working. Correct. Right. Um, then one day I went on a location and opened a building and the building blew up. Oh no. Blew me 45 feet out of the building. Mm. I got up, shut the wellhead in, shut in the valves and behind the thing. <laughs> it's amazing what adrenaline does. <laughs> mm. And then I had to drive about uh, 30, 40 kilometers on a rubber tired backhoe. If you've ever seen ice road truckers, that's what I was driving on, except for much smaller and rougher. Wow. Okay. Uh, was found by the greater operator. He ran me in the rest of the way. And then I was flown into Fort St. John and treated for my burns. The back of my hand was burnt. My face got a little burnt, mm -hmm. but it was 40 below. So there wasn't a lot of exposed. I was like bundled up to here. right? Yeah. But uh, that extra clothing is what I was just standing in the doorway. And that extra clothing was enough extra wadding to really get the force to go that distance that I went. And then I sat for the next two weeks healing from my burns and wounds. Started uh, becoming insatiably thirsty, urinating frequently, and watching the number, the house number across the streets get fuzzier and fuzzier. Mm. And my thighs were on fire. And then I started losing weight. So I went from 180 pound diver down to 142 pounds. And what was the time span for this to occur? Week and a half. Week and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't very long. Mm. It wasn't very long. Um, and prior to that, I was, I wouldn't say I was perfectly normal. I know now that I would have had uh, probably the perfect storm going on. But I felt good. I felt fine. Yep. But so I know now by what I was that eating. That story eating sounds myself. very familiar for me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that ended my diving career instantly. You, oh. you can't, be a, can't be a type one and 
Yeah. Be a, be a thousand feet down. It's hard to grab a quick snack. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So things moved on from there. I ended up uh, starting my own business back in the oil industry. Again, going back to operating problem solving. And because I was a good problem solver, I, I ran my own company and several companies hired me to run their stuff. Um, that became a little taxing after a while because I was working 18 hours a day. Mm. And, you know, living on uh, restaurant food. That certainly didn't help in my management, even though I was a brand new type type one diabetic. Yeah. But they really didn't tell me anything different because uh, that's true. You always had insulin to give yourself. Well, and 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 this is what they said: "We've oh, you're so lucky. We have insulin now." I know. <laughs> How many years after the discovery of insulin was this? Well, this was in '84 or '85. Sorry. Okay, so, so that, that that would be yeah. you know, what you know, sixty years after? Yeah, forty. Yeah. Yeah, a little 60 years after. But the, the, the gentleman that did train me initially, Dr. Brown, uh, he was in his, well, by this time he was almost in his mid-70s, still 70s, working. 80s, okay, yeah. Yeah, he was still working, but he was diagnosed when he was, you know, I think early double digits, right? Mm. And uh, I had a lot of respect for him because he was a doctor and he had type 1 and he was still alive at 70-some-odd years old, you know? After 60 years of diabetes, it kind of gives you a little bit of hope, right? Right. But what they were teaching me wasn't giving me a lot of hope because I wasn't really gaining a lot of control. Zero, as a matter of fact. So tell me what we, I know in the Canadian system is very different. Mm -hmm. So your blood sugars, I think I just have to multiply it by 18. If I we, go by milli, we, we go by millimoles. Millimoles. So if I want to convert the millimoles to the 18. milligrams, it's times 18. So yeah. what were your blood sugars running in the range and what was the biggest challenge at that time? Oh, I was uh, like the only time I saw a normal range was if I got lucky when I checked and it was on the way to two or 20, one or the other. Mm. So it, it was, was a constant, constant roller coaster. My, so my, my A1Cs for several years were in double digits. I was 11, 12, 13 at one time. That's so it was going to drop below 70 or it was going to go above 300? Exactly. Basically, yeah. Yeah, more like four hundred sometimes, <laughs> almost. Yes. Yes. Right. Okay, got it. And if and 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 that's an emotional roller coaster as well as being the blood sugar roller coaster because one yanks the other. More than anything else, I think it's the fear. The fear that your sugars are going to drop. The sugars are too high. I mean, you're well, constantly. It's an over-consuming. Fair enough. On on I. I I have dug into that a little bit, and that's that, that's a great observation. So what I what I look at is this. When you get too low, when you get below your 70, right, and you go into insulin shock, right, that's shock. Right. Shock is shock. I don't care who you are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? It, it affects us all basically the same way. So you're in the sympathetic nervous system. Your, your gut shuts down. Yeah. Right? And what do you need to get into you? Food. You know, I, I deal with quite a few people that say, well, you know, when I get low, I'm just not hungry. And, you know, like when I'm having a low, I, I just don't feel like I want to eat. Well, you've got to shut down. So it is important to, to know what to have to try to get your, your sugars back up. That, mm -hmm. That's going to work quickly because I've made some decisions that were not good in the past. <laughs> so that's one of the most important things there. And then on the high side, you know, that, that contributes to, I remember one client I was talking with him and I said, do you, uh, do you find you're hungry all the time? God, he says, my wife catches me in the closet eating a cookie or something, right? <laughs> and I said, 
you must feel bad about that. He says, well, I know she kind of looks down at me for that. And like, I'm, 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 I'm weak, right? Like I don't have the intestine, you know, the, 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 the willpower to stop. And I said, well, let me explain something to you. I said, if you're above 150, I said eight, if you're above eight, that's out of the range of your system. And you're actually lacking either recognition or insulin, one or the other, whether it be type two or type one, you're, you're, you're not recognizing your insulin or you don't have enough of it. Mm-hmm. And the cells are seeing all that glucose swim by mm-hmm. and going, Hey, what about us? Come over here, come feed me. Right. So you've got a trillion cells in your body screaming out, feed me. I tell every diabetic, if you're hungry, check your blood sugar. You're probably high. You don't need to eat. Mm-hmm. Yep. So let me ask you this. You said, um, so you not only are diagnosed with type one, you're struggling to get your blood sugars under control. Other than that, you didn't think there was a problem, but when you think back now, you said you were a perfect storm. What were the other symptoms that you had? Because I always tell people, you never get anything overnight. Your body could not take the last stressor. And That's right. Come this, and was tell just me. The, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, exactly. So it's not that viral infection, that flu. After the flu, I've never been the same. No, the flu actually opened that can of worms. That's right. Which you had been shutting down because you didn't have time for it. So what were the other symptoms that you were experiencing before this particular autoimmune condition? Well, let me give you a little idea. Um, number one in those days working in the camps, we really didn't have a great water supply. We didn't have bottled water in 1985. Sure. <laughs> so that didn't exist. So, you know, it would be hauled out of the beaver dams and, and you only drank it as coffee and you didn't have, you didn't even add creamer to it because it would make it turn green, right? Yeah. Oh <laughs> no, you wouldn't want to see that green coffee. So my point is hydration was a big problem. Mm-hmm. All right. So I was under severely underhydrated, I would think. And all I really ate while I was in the camps, you know, they've got a lot of pastries, they've got a lot of breads, they've got a lot of potatoes, you know, they're feeding, figuring they're feeding their lumberjacks, but we weren't lumberjacks anymore, right? So way too much food and the wrong type of food. Um, and that's what set me up. Not so to mention a lot of underlying inflammation. Yeah. And, and, and not- some stress of the new, of the new marriage as well. I'd been married while I was down going to school. Uh, yeah. Well, my girlfriend followed me down there after I left to go to school. Yeah, yeah. So I think those are the things. So that's what happens, right? You have normal life, which is actually yeah. very stressful because of the choices we make and the journey we have to have in order to become uh, what you call mature or mature, whatever you yeah. pronounce that. And then you had the food that you're putting inside that is causing more inflammation than actually giving you nutrition. And then you had the bigger trigger of being in a blast or an accident. Right. And I'm going to add one more thing. Oh, yes. Toxic chemicals. Oh, that's true. I was working in the oil patch. We were surrounded by methanols, xylenes, toluenes. It was quite, quite frequent that I would be inhaling methanol. Do you, did you ever check your genetic trait to see if you are a good uh, detoxifier, like the methylation, the COMT, you know, the pathways of the liver? No, I have not. Okay. So that's something I to consider not. too. I, I, I've been told my liver is in 100% cheap, so. Yeah. Um, 
So that is a very good, because if you have a genetic, because most people are exposed to toxins. Today, we live in really a toxic world, if you want to call it toxic, which means there's more chemicals our body's exposed to. And the human being is evolving. Sometimes they're evolving with disease. You know, they increase incidence of autism, the increase incidence of autoimmune conditions. So our adaptation to it is to manifest a disease. But how can we create enough health that even despite the insults, we don't manifest the diseases, what we have to look at. So I think one of the things I would say is since you had all of this and this particular trigger mm-hmm. just blew the whole thing open is to see yeah. why was your lack, system lack, lack of hydration, it. lack of bowel movements, right. created leaky gut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kaboom. And a leaky gut is basically that it, our gut always is inflamed every time we eat but it heals Mm -hmm. but when it cannot heal at all that's right it opens it's wide open to attack so i think that's really what happened yeah and then and then they put me on a diabetic diet which was eating wheat six times a day of course because you're chasing you needed carbs and i think that's something (laughs) that that, that, that's what we discussed just before we went on correct recording is carbohydrates, there are no essential carbohydrates. No, there are no. essential proteins, essential fatty acids, but no essential yep. carbohydrates. And that's for a reason. Mm-hmm. We can actually make it. And not that I say, um, you know, when you you don't have to have carbs, I'm a huge, I mean, being a plant-based person, my, like 90% of my food is carbs, literally. It may be a different source of carbs. I'm not eating bread and pasta and noodles, but it's really plants are carbs. Um, so let's go through your journey in the medical system, which really was the impetus. You know, first of all, this, I always tell the first breakdown in your life is your biggest breakthrough in life, right? Your breakdown was your health. I mean, literally your world changed. And because of your curiosity, most people would have just gone to the doctor, taken that insulin, taken the diet and continued to chase their sugars and literally aged much faster. Oh, yeah. Uh, and rather they, than. They use diabetics for fast aging studies. <laughs> yes, yes. Rather than asking the question, why is this not working? So, what was your journey in the medical system and why did it make you want to shift from being a business owner dealing with oil to being a health coach? All right. I'll try to I'll, I'll try to keep it small. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be an interesting story because I'm sure your story is not unique. A lot of people go through this, but what is unique about you is you actually decided to ask the right questions. Correct. And I want to know what was your thought process. First of all, let's start at the very beginning, even before I was born. My mom was gestational. Mm. Okay. I was a C-section baby, and I came out ten pounds four ounces, twenty-four inches long. Okay. So I was even overcooked. All right. Overgrown and overcooked. (laughs) Overgrown and overcooked. Yep. Um, So that was the first part of my 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 journey, and then then I unconsciously at the time, now reflecting upon it, I could see a difference. My father wouldn't eat onions, so there was always two meals in the house, Mm. and he wouldn't eat really a lot of bread. He would eat potatoes, but he wouldn't eat a lot of bread. So I watched the two of them over 20 some odd years, my mother being placed on a diabetic diet for being type two. And I watched her get sicker and sicker and make more and more visits to the hospital. And my dad outlived her by about 15 years. Mm. So that's kind of a first hand anecdote 
right? Of just an observational one. Yeah. And that was the same diet that I was put on thinking that my father was wrong because he was eating fat, you know? Yeah. Like beef tallow and that's what he did his potatoes in and everything else. But yet now thinking about it, he only ate breakfast. He only ate lunch. He only ate supper. No snacking in between. <laughs> and no snacking in between. Right? No bedtime snack? No. No. Actually, he was uh, he was strange. He'd drink a cup of coffee and go to bed. Yep. And that was his only fault. He drank about, well, probably eight cups of coffee a day, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and, and I understand what that does. By the way, I don't drink anything with caffeine in it. Because mm-hmm. that'll take your sugars for a roller coaster. Yeah. Every time. Um, so moving on from that, uh, just like I say, that was kind of looking back on the past. I tried different insulin regimes. Um, upon diagnosis, the only thing they had at the time, I think, was uh, NPH, Lante. Uh, a few years after, they had Ultra Lante, I believe, but that was taken off the market because it caused cancer, I heard. <laughs> I could be I could be incorrect on that one, but it's no longer, you can't find it, right? It's no longer around. And it wasn't until the late 90s, uh, and I went back and forth trying to get, you know, for 15 years trying to have doctors help me figure things out. In that process, I ended up developing uh, in 94 gastroparesis, as well as Crohn's colitis. So for people who don't understand gastroparesis, what is that? Well... There's gastroparesis and there's diabetic gastroparesis. <laughs> right, right. So that's a little more on the diabetic side. That is uh, uh, the way they explain it to me and the way it feels when I think about it. Um, your peristaltic movement just shuts down, period. And there's nothing more terrifying than eating a meal, taking your insulin, your insulin absorbs, but the meal doesn't move through. Yep. Then you got to eat again. And what are you going to eat? You're up to here with food. Yeah. So you bring it out. Well, or you try not to. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a very miserable condition. It's oh, basically it's your system. Yeah. It's almost like your uh, drainage pipe is not working at all. But you oh, no, still. It's, it's not. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're, 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 you're not. And then with the Crohn's colitis, it was on again, off again. Mm -hmm. So either you couldn't get it through to get to the colon, and then once it got there, it either left right away or it it packed up until you had to do something about it, right? So the amount of stress on the body doing that, experiencing that, reflected in all the blood sugars. It was absolutely impossible to balance your blood sugars when you're going through this type of of process. Yes. I was put on sulfasalazine, then azacol. I was on those for I don't know how many years. Um, These are all medications for the colitis to decrease. The all for the colitis, which which never worked. They yes. never worked at all. Um, one of the reasons I did quit drinking coffee, though, was because that would also make me have a have a. Have a, a yeah. yeah. So one of the yeah. things I want to uh, point out, whenever somebody says there's a condition for which I was given a drug, which the drug was meant to be for that condition, but it never worked. What I want people to understand is when you have a colitis, when you have inflammation, when you have high blood pressure, high blood sugar, particularly the type two, not type one, the way they're going to be talking about more about a type one. 
what happens is it's your body's defense mechanism. So your colitis was your body's way of getting you to pay attention that something is happening. And when you try to suppress it by giving it an anti-inflammation, you're working against the body's defense mechanism. And that's why it never works. Yeah, so it's just fighting back. Yeah, it's just fighting back. It's saying, no, that's not what I want. I need something <laughs> different. So Wrong. you're going to, yeah, that battle will go. And that is the battle people have for decades before they die. Yeah. Or they yeah. find a doctor like well, I went through a coach like you. <laughs> I went through 15 years of it, right? Yeah. Um, so when when Lantus came along in in the early 2000s, um, I didn't I, I I didn't even bother by this point. So what are we at here now? 15, 16 years later, 17 years later, I didn't even talk to my doctor about anything. Mm. Because every time I did, you know, they'd look down their glasses at you and go, "Well, you know, you're not you're not taking care of yourself." And I'd look at him and I'd say, well, show me how to balance it. Mm -hmm. If you're so good, you show me how. Yeah. I got very indignant. Mm. So. It's the type one diabetic personality, actually. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you're just, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, right? And you just. And a lot of doctors don't realize it. You don't want the same runaround. No, actually, the part, the, the very important part that you brought up is really the key thing. Most type 1 diabetics may not be as old as you were, uh, which is 22 would be considered old, even though it was very yeah. young. But a lot of diabetics start at 5, 6, and 8. Mm. And you're telling the child consistently, you're not taking care of yourself. That's why your blood sugars are high. Mm. And that the child begins to live with this guilt and shame. Yeah, and so the defense mechanism is offensive, right? I'm going to be offensive when I'm with my doctor because I don't know what to do. That's the mode most type one diabetics well, are. And, and 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 in defense of the of of the patient too, you know, I should defend. No, absolutely. And but in defense in, of the patient, we're only doing what we're told to do. Exactly, but it's not working. And, but and, and then you look at them and they go, no, you can't be doing it because our stuff works. Well, no, it doesn't because yeah. that's the missing factor. Yeah. It does not work what you're telling me to do. So the, the solution for that, uh, what we used to do in medicine is tell people, hey, as a type 1 diabetic, you just have to keep chasing your sugars and try to get the closest oh, no, level no. you can. No, I, was Don't get too I was called brittle. Brittle. That's the write-off. They, they call it brittle. Yeah, I agree. You, you, get, you get written off as being brittle. Oh, well, you're just brittle. And that just means they don't know how to deal with you. They don't <laughs> know how to balance your blood sugars. That's right. the underlying factor. Right. That's the truth. Right. And I don't believe anybody is brittle. I don't I think really, there is. I agree with you 100%. There's, there I, I, are I, I no brittle total, diabetics. Total wrong education. It's brittle education. management. Yeah. yeah wrong, the, they've got the wrong education about how to manage. Absolutely. So when Lantus came along, getting back to that, uh, they didn't even know how to use it. <laughs> and I started playing with it at first twice a day, and that really didn't work for me. And then I started once a day. But I was still using a sliding scale on meals with short acting. So moving forward and finally trying to say, look, let's do something about this. Because for years, I just tried to exist. And I got to a point where... I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't wanting to eat. 
food was of no interest, blood sugars are one way or the other, canning onto a relationship, uh, you know, because I'm miserable to live with, right, when you're like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, is that is that personal for you? <laughs> No. It's it's a it's a lousy it's a lousy thing to experience because you'd like to do something about it you want to do something about it and when you do it doesn't work. So you yeah, because the right. guidelines it's like giving the wrong instructions to put a furniture together. Well, it, it will drive you crazy if you. <laughs> you'll be trying savings. forever and you won't get it. You'll give up yep. and you'll go back with saying I'm yep. going to figure this out. And, but you have the same instructions, just yeah. put in a different way. So then one day, moving along and, and kind of getting into when I, I started to decide to solve this issue, trust me, I wasn't arrogant enough to think that I was going to solve it. That's not, that's <laughs> not where I was at. I just wanted to try to figure out something for me to make me a little bit better because they didn't have anything that was helping me. And I wasn't going to wait for the cure because I figured I'd be dead by then. And the right. cure isn't going to come. If there's big money involved, it's not going to happen. Right. Right. So anyways, that's a little sidetrack. I had to do a job one time and I was going to be gone for probably five or six days. I had to pack all my own food for that whole journey. So I got thinking about it and I'd been trying a couple things and not really seeing any success, but I decided to do something to me, totally radical. Now you got to understand seven years ago, I wasn't really online. I wasn't looking for anything and there wasn't really a lot online at that time anyways. Correct. Seven years ago, it was just kind of getting started, right? As far as online health was concerned. So, and the times that I had gone on, the only thing you see is the CDA or the ADA, American Diabetic Association or Canadian Diabetic Association, and it's the same. Everything's about type 2 and a little corner about type 1. Oh, you have insulin. You'll be fine. Mm -hmm. That's all they said. In, you know, I'm summarizing. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're very right. Uh, if, if people yeah, actually, I, you know, I want people to get to the uh, thought process, ask the right questions. So you right. were struggling and trying to, so why you were trying to figure out something for yourself. And exactly, was, exactly. So I ended up only taking uh, basically high energy foods, right? They were a little more fats, a little more, some proteins. Um, I took quite a few vegetables as far as carbs were concerned as much as I could because I had storage issues, right? But I did bring, didn't bring anything as far as grains were concerned. Mm -hmm. um, I figured they'd probably mold by the time I did anything with them anyways, right? right? And I was starting to put together the fact that I really didn't like eating them because I could never get the insulin and the curvature of the absorption to match. It's like trying to hit another missile out of the air. They haven't done that very well either. <laughs> you need a lot of science to try to do that, and it just doesn't work. Correct. By the way, all the non-diabetics out there, if you're eating carbs, you don't do it either. Yeah. Good That's point. True. You don't. Absolutely. You'll, over, you'll overcompensate. Your pancreas will gallop on you, and then two hours later, you want to eat roadkill. Right. Because you're so hungry and your blood sugars are down. Right. And that's one of the biggest challenges even for normal people. When they say, I wake up in the morning and I'm hungry, I'm shaking. That's your sign that what you're eating is not working for you. You, you don't yeah, need to have a disease. Yeah. You, yeah. Don't have a, you don't have to have a disease to make a change. You need to that's just right. listen to your symptoms. But right. go ahead. You had the high, high energy food, more fats, more protein. Right. So I figured, you know, if I'm not having these little peaks, 
of carbohydrate, why can't I elevate the lattice? Mm -hmm. So I kept notching it up, notching it up, notching it up, notching it up, checking every basically hour on the hour or, you know, just before I ate, an hour after I ate, sometimes a half an hour after I ate if I was suspicious. Um, taking a scientific approach to it, collecting data. And I finally got to a point where I elevated to about 36, 37 units. Boom. Everything changed. Mm. Because now I was actually had a feeling I hadn't had. And this is where people that have been diagnosed at a young age will never remember what that good feeling was. I actually had the sense that I was before I was diabetic. Wow. And because I'm suddenly saying, energy was getting into your cells. Well, it was consistent, just yeah. the way the pancreas works. So right. what we need to do instead of bolusing all the time is we need to balance out the basal and get it high enough so that you satisfy all the metabolic necessity plus what you're eating and then take what you're eating. And I was eating a higher fat content. And even then, they, I, I, I think a year or so after, somebody started calling that paleo and ketogenic later on after that and all these right. other names. Before that, it was uh, Atkins diet, so to speak. But Atkins was higher protein and lower fat. But Correct. anyways, I started increasing fats and I found that you still need insulin for those, right? Um, but they're very consistent. They don't spike on you as bad, right? Well, the so next thing I know. You the roller coaster ride and you were driving on a plane. Well, basically, it's like surfing on your insulin. Yeah. You just sit there and just ride it down until your blood sugar is low enough and then you have something to eat. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got, we've got sugar storage in all of our muscles. We've got sugar storage in our liver. We've got it in the actual volume of the blood. So that's three tanks. Yes. And if your tank is at 150, you have no business eating. Correct. And Take some insulin or go walk. The, and <laughs> I totally agree. And that's a very important point, both for type 1, type 2. They're very that's different. Right. If you're sitting down for a mealtime and you're 150, you've got no business sitting there. Because you're already, you're, you're packed. You're packed with carbs. You can utilize it. Go utilize it. The bloodstream's the last one to fill up. And yep. when it's full, it's full. Yes. Right? Yes. So, and, and that'll help for um, somewhat for resistance, right? Because if you just keep jamming it to it, you're going to keep being resistant. So, yep. anyways, that, that just absolutely so was, changed everything. The only thing I had to solve was, because this isn't a pump, I couldn't dial it down at night, right? How do I get through the night? Yes. It took me a little while, about uh, six, seven, eight months, but what I did was I developed a bar recipe. So it's uh, nuts, seeds, hemp hearts, um, coconut, coconut oil, honey, maple syrup, and a chocolate topping <laughs> that I make myself. It's just cacao, honey, and uh, cocoa butter, mm -hmm. right? And I take probably a, a piece of that, about three inches long, and I eat that basically before I go to bed, and I can get eight hours of stable blood sugar right through the night. But it's higher fat, little protein, and, and, it, and it hides the carbohydrate so that it slow releases the carbohydrate. So if you were going to do some math for all the mathematicians out there, 36, 37 units a day, that's an hour and a half, or a unit and a half per hour. 
breaking into the system. It's a little bit higher up front, but it's pretty much a unit and a half an hour. That's a predictable number now. Right. Now you've got something to work with. So looking at it from an engineering point of view, you put this stuff down on paper, you've got insulin intake, food intake, output for exercise, and number four, the unknown, an adrenaline event. Yes. Right? If you have shock, stress, anything, anything that causes adrenaline, right, or, or forces you over the edge to, to stress out because that'll shut the gut down. Correct. And, and then you got to start all over again. You got to start from scratch, right? So those four elements now, they're, they're trying to tell us that in a sliding scale system, we can increase insulin because we've increased food because we're not sure if we're going to go exercising. <laughs> So you're changing all the variables at one time and trying to get a to, trying to spit out an answer. You can't you can't solve a problem. You'll get different answers fixing. each time. You got to at least fix one variable, one, yeah. just one. All right, but I've fixed more than that. Right, so I stabilize the sugars or stabilize the insulin at a constant rate. Lantus works wonderful. There are some other products out there. If people have certain resistances because sometimes that happens. You're not always happy with certain certain insulins, but it's the best one. I know Levermere isn't a full 24 hour insulin. Yes. So you have to double take that. That's a twice a day. And as a diabetic and any diabetics that are out there, if you could only take one shot a day, isn't that better than four or five or 10? Yep. Or having a pump dangling off you all the time, Correct. constantly injecting you. So, I mean, that's a personal choice and it could be an economic one as well. This is the absolute cheapest way to take care of yourself. Correct. More than anything else, the harm that insulin causes, I think most people underestimate it. Sugar in the long term, high sugars do cause problems, but insulin, remember, it's a synthetic Pro-inflammatory. Yeah. It's a pro-inflammatory. Pro-inflammatory. It is cardiovascular. It's cancer-inducing, the insulin-like growth factor. We have a lot of issues with long-term insulin use and overuse, which is really a big problem in type 1 diabetics. It's becoming a big problem in type 2 diabetics because, once again, if you are one of those patients who just looks at the American Diabetes Association uh, recommendations and you keep following and you're not getting it under control, this is like calling a plumber to your house to get that leaky pipe fixed over and over again, the same plumber doing the same things over and over again. At some point, when it comes to your house, the second time you'll say, forget it. I mean, I need somebody different who actually knows their job. But we don't yeah. say that to our doctors. No. No, we don't. And, you know, to be honest and fair, you got a lot on your plates. <laughs> right. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of could be. Could be specialization, but we've got to get away from that because what is there, 137 different specialties now? It doesn't no. matter, right? We become reductionist in our approach. We want exactly. To, we want so you've got to be more holistic, and there, there, there's a whole picture there, and it'll tell you a story if you ask the questions and get the information. It'll tell you the entire story of what's going on. So the main so, question you were asking is, how can I get these blood sugars not to fluctuate? Exactly. And and what is actually causing these fluctuations? And you connect it to the carbs. Like, hey, I really feel crappy when I eat this. So I'm going to eat something different. Now, you didn't know that fats don't actually stimulate insulin at all. I mean, you don't 
literally, the, if you were a type two diabetic, you ate fat, the insulin doesn't go up, you know, but oh, in a type two diabetic, the insulin goes really high when the minute they eat right. a piece of bread. Right. And then as type ones, we need it as for metabolic function a little right. bit. You do. I mean, with t- insulin is a life saving hormone. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely essential. It is the only hormone that will help you store energy because that's that's a job. The job of insulin is to keep that equal or stable blood sugars enough so that the body has enough energy. Its its right. job is not to keep chasing the sugars. I right. mean, literally, that's why it goes down eight, and says... Anything over eight goes to fat. Yeah, literally. It stores it. It's just out of the system so, and keeps that system clean. So you, the question you asked is, how can I get it stabilized? What makes me feel bad in, and why I'm going to stop doing it? So when you discovered that you hit a point where everything was stable and you figured out what to do for the night thing, did you go back to your doctors and tell them what you did? Uh, yeah, and they just kind of jaw dropped, right? Because I waited for a while and and uh, probably about six miles. I had to go back a little bit earlier. That let me mm-hmm. let me interrupt. I was on um, a couple of medications at the time, and when I went for the uh, Crohn's colitis problem, he at that time also started me on um, Hycopril. Oh, it'll protect your kidneys. By the way, folks, if you want to protect your kidneys, drop your blood pressure. That's the best thing you can do. So, but you don't need to do it by pills. Right. And just so people know, it's actually a, a specific type of blood pressure, class of, class of blood pressure medications that do two things. One, it prevents the heart from becoming thick when people have high blood pressure. It's called a remodeling. And the number two is supposedly protects you from having worsening kidney function because you're a diabetic. Remember, glucose is not supposed to be in your kidneys at right. the so rate the and concentration. In there, right? right. And right. what happens is it can damage and acupril is one of the, it's an older drug for us. I don't think we have acupril here or it comes in different names and Rhinopril, it actually Rhinopril. protects lisinopril, enalapril, and, you know, we're getting newer and newer drugs. So yeah, well, we're, the disease is the same, but we just keep, trying to figure out the same solutions. Let's get some drugs. Exactly. Yeah. So in the, in the first couple of months, uh, you know, once I started balancing the blood sugars because I avoided and eliminated some foods, uh, I was dropping weight. I was way more energetic. I had to actually go walk every day because I had so much energy. Um, one of these days on these walks, I was actually working my office manager that I had at the time in my oil industry, you know, oil company was walking with me. She was actually diagnosed celiac, mm-hmm. went on a, a gluten-free diet, gained 30 pounds in two months. Yes. Because I just, diet- I just started, I just started trying to figure myself out and she goes, you've been losing weight. I want to do what you're doing. So she started following me. She ended up losing 80 pounds. Met a guy, got married. <laughs> I, always, I always tell all my, my female clients out there, there are side effects. <laughs> Even though it's holistic medicine, there are side effects. So, but we were walking together and uh, we just about finished and it just felt like my blood sugar just instantly dropped for some reason. I just had no energy and I still had to make it halfway around the track to get off the entranceway because it was in an indoor building, right? It was suspended above our hockey rink. 
Um, so I get out, go to the, go to my vehicle to check my blood sugar. I left my kit in there, go to test it. No strips drive to the drugstore. There's a lineup. Well, could this get any better? Right? So I go over to sit down. There's no place to sit except for the, at the blood pressure cuff, you know, the little stall they have for that. Right? So I sit on that chair for a little while. It's a bench or whatever for a bit. And I kind of felt stupid just sitting there, not using the machine. So I took my coat off, threw my arm in there just to see what was going on. I did it three times because I thought the machine was broke. I go finally talk to the pharmacist. I said, Robbie, I said, you got a manual sigmoid and check my blood pressure? Well, why? What did the machine say? I said, it's broke, buddy. Well, what did it say, Lyle? I said, 77 over 36. He gives me a stand back and an up and down. And he goes, how do you feel, Lyle? So I got to be honest with you, Robbie. I said, I'm dead tired. He said, you should be dead. I don't know about the tired part, but you should be dead. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I had to fight with the physician to get off it. Because those are the standard guidelines. If our diabetics right. are not on a statin or an ACE inhibitor, we're not yeah. following guidelines. Yeah, and I'm on neither of them now. My cholesterol is perfect. Everything is just, he just looks at he just shakes his head. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. My A1C is 5.7. Yeah. And how many units of insulin are you on now? 38. Okay. So same. So nothing has changed. Your weight stays the same? Uh, I bounce about five pounds winter to summer. Got it. I, I think the only um, thing is... I, I, I'm probably going to trim that off this year because I'm doing a lot more vitamin D supplementation. Got it. That, that really helps with the resistance because I tend to crank up another unit to two. I can be up to 39 in the wintertime. Uh, I, I would say... Uh, by the way, everybody thing. out there, the largest number of diabetics are in the Northern Hemisphere. Right. It is a direct correlation to vitamin D. Right. And, you know, those things keep, the studies keep coming and going. But what I would say is a lot of this is intuitive. If you're not well taking a specific treatment, following a specific plan, it's time to ask different questions. Do something different. Yeah, yeah do something different, number one. Number two, yeah. I think the other thing that we discuss, and I'm, this I would really, very, I'm very passionate about this, is do continuous glucose monitoring. I mean, you, you will be amazed oh, yes. at how much you will change what you're doing even now, and you may need only four or five units of insulin. I'm not even kidding as, as far as that goes, because that is a huge difference once you know what works for you. I played around. I pushed it down a little bit. I did a lot more exercise for a while, and I tried to push to the keto side. Right. I can do it. I just don't like exercising that much. Yeah. Yeah. That's, just, that's true. That is not true. At, not at 57. I'll be 57 here pretty quick. Now, I do play pickleball. I love that game. Yeah. And I walk absolutely every day. And if I don't, like yesterday, I had a little busy day and I didn't get my walk in. I was elevated last night. I had to take one unit extra. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And also yeah. getting your muscle mass up, even if you don't like to do the yeah. walking and running, getting building muscle would re get the insulin to work much uh, smoother. Upregulating um, your, your G, G4 receptors, GLUT4 receptors. Yeah. Right, right. And literally, and because that's the, you know, uh, once the muscles are, uh, there's less fat and more muscle, your insulin requirement actually goes down too. Oh, yes, so, it does. Yeah. And I think that's what I tell my diabetics. Well, I, don't, I, I don't know where you feel at this time. I'm one, 175 and 38 units, so I don't think I'm really over insulin. No, you're not over insulin, but there are times when uh, you will find with the continuous glucose monitoring, 
I am really seeing that most of our diabetics can manage with much less calories. Of course, I should. Oh, yes. This. Yeah, much lesser calories because they know exactly what they can eat and nothing that overstimulates their appetite right. or, you know, gets their insulin needs up in any ways. Yeah. So I think the continued glucose monitoring, asking the right questions, seeing how the food and your insulin and your body interact, that means your symptoms. I mean, living with symptoms is not normal. So what happened to your gastroparesis? Did you have, do you still struggle with it? No. It's Amazing, all healed. Right? And we were talking to my, my, and- my thyroid's fine. Yeah. Everything, everything is fine. The only thing I got is still the type one. Yep. Yep. And, and that's. I wish, I wish today, if I had a time machine, I'd go back and I'd change my diet. Probably the day before I got blown up. <laughs> but then you wouldn't have a reason to be a coach today and help no, several that. other people, yeah. right? So I think I every, like I said, every breakdown is a breakthrough and yep. it elevates you to the next level for what you're meant to be. So what would be your advice to people struggling with type 1 diabetes and uncontrolled diabetes or somebody who's being told that they have brittle diabetes? What should they be doing, the one change that they have to do right now? I would get off the, I, I, I would get off chronically bolusing insulin to cover carbs. And so stop, stop the, the carbs so you don't have to bolus. That's right. Uh, elevate, elevate your, I, I see quite a few clients. They just are not recommended enough basil and they're relying on the, the erratic short acting, not really understanding. Cause you've, you've almost got to be a, a mathematician to have this all in your head all the time. Okay. So I took some short acting. It's going to peak and it's going to last about five hours, but it's peaking in two hours. Is this going to absorb? Did I eat the right thing? Is if I put too much fat in there, it won't absorb as fast. But that's the case. Fat. Yeah. It'll it'll slow down the absorption of the carbohydrates. So then you don't need those short boluses. You can just flatline on a basil. Because now now when you're doing yeah. that, I'm going to caution everybody. Your your system will become because you are flatlining your basil and taking the same amount every day. You do become accustomed to it a little bit. Because we're not really supposed to do that either. <laughs> we're not supposed to have a constant amount of insulin coming in all the time. So there are times when if I wake up in the morning, I typically am around 70 in the morning, 75, 80. Which is fine. Yeah, it's wonderful. Then I eat. Tanks low, eat. But if I'm actually even, uh, you know, 95 or 100, I question whether I need to eat yet. Sure, sure. But then and just, sometimes, you know, sometimes the level, elevated just, sugar, yeah. the, the insulin may not be, it, it may have been a, a different spot where I injected. It might not be absorbing quite right. I might have laid on it at night and it didn't absorb quite or break down quite correctly. So sometimes there's little latencies in the insulin you're not sure of. So I'll just fast. So just to I, help I, I will, people I will, understand. I will fast until yeah. that blood sugar comes down. That is important because you said the three compartments of glucose. When your blood glucose is above a certain level, adding more food to it is Wrong. not going to prevent hypoglycemia. It's just you need to get it down to where, hey, I do need to fill this a little more. Yeah. It's like pouring yeah. the wait, wait, waitress coming and pouring water into your already full cup. It's going to overflow and make a mess. 
And that's yep. really what happens. It's, you have to drink a little, get it down so you can pour some more. Yeah, don't so, waterboard yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think these are the, 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 that's a very different way of thinking for most type 1 diabetics, but that's how people need to think. Yes. Your blood sugar tells you your other tanks are full. Your cells are full. They don't need Absolutely. more sugar. Yeah. Absolutely. And when your blood sugar goes up and you're hungry, it doesn't mean I got to eat. It means you got to walk it off. And right. you mean drink water and walk it off. And the hydration helps. And that brings up a good point. Consequently, if you are solving this problem and someone inactive and then you get more and more active, you're going to eventually need to back that, that, that basal off a bit. Right. You can, you can start decreasing it notch by notch because all that's going to happen as you get more active is you're going to start going low more frequently and you're going to start upregulating your food. Right. So, just so people understand, and if you don't have type 1 diabetes, you're always having an insulin. There's a five to seven units basal insulin we all have in our system. Nobody ever checks the insulin levels in traditional medicine, but in functional medicine, I don't correlate. If the sugar and the basal insulin are not there, I don't know somebody's... Um, oh, is that five or seven units at any one time? It's usually fasting. In the right, fasting state, is five to seven units. And right. if they are eating postprandial, it can go up. That's why, you know, it right. can go up to 14 or 15. A lot of them, that's why I said, if you truly are looking at it overnight, you only, literally, most people need only five to seven units if they're doing a higher fat. And this is the only time, even being plant-based, this is the only time and the only condition there's a type 1 diabetic, I tell people to go on a low-carb diet because your system yep. doesn't know how to handle carbs. It doesn't have the capacity. It doesn't have the tools. And you giving the tools from outside is not the right fit. That's right. So it, it messes it up. So this is the only time a higher fat, but also I'm happy the way you presented it as um, seeds and nuts to some degree, coconut, um, instead of drinking like a half a cup of olive oil and coconut oil, because that is also not the right thing for everyone. You got to check. No. And, and, and I'm glad, glad you brought that up. I developed a shake for the morning that's got hemp parts, avocado, coconut milk, um, pecans, walnuts, Brazil nuts, a third of a banana, about two inches long, and berries. And that makes two servings and about a 16-ounce little mix master deal, right? Right. And I'll eat off of that for two days. But that calculates out to 600 calories and yeah. about 30 to 35 grams of carbs. Mm -hmm. But I feed that to non-diabetics to get right. them off wheat, to get them off wheat, because right. they do not think about food for six to seven hours. Absolutely. They do not think about it. And I have gone six or seven hours um, just kind of going from a four up to about a six and a half, seven, holding there for about three or four hours, and then falling off slowly. Right, right. And you can't get any better than that. I don't care who you are. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that, no that, that, is, that is very true in terms of what you're saying is they're all natural foods. They're all whole foods. It's just that it's not disturbing your metabolic balance because right. you already are uh, missing a big major player in this whole I'm running on manual. Process. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah exactly. I bring, I, I bring back to my oil field experience. Like it's a big process plant, 
Because that's what we are. We're a big process plant. It's no longer automated. You're right. And it's not quite automated. Yeah. You know, somebody asked me that, well, what's it like to be a diabetic? And I was working in the oil patch at the time and big computer screens in front. And I said, all right, you want me to see what it's like? And I went over and I flipped the switch. Alarm started going, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, that's what it's like. You got one pump shut down. Mm -hmm. What's your system going to do? It's going to fail. And it was the fact that you were able to fix that one system and took away all your other disease processes is what people, that's the message people need to get. We are you need to get it down to the base. Yes. You got to go right down to the base. And you were talking before about, you know, your, your channels, getting rid of your toxins. If you're not pooping two, three times a day, you got a problem. Yes, absolutely. You got a big problem. Yeah. You know, um, if you're not doing a little bit of sweating, if you're not, you know, it's, it's, you've got to open up those channels, right? And yeah. exhalation, of course, we get it from respiration and, and that type of thing, right? So uh, keeping those, keeping those channels open. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, especially with the, the high carb diets and the low fiber diets that most people are on, they're not transit time. Their transit time is horrible. Correct. Their, their, their gut motility is horrible and they're, they're backed up and they're having issues and you just don't feel right when you're like that. A lot of times it's because they, they still don't differentiate. When you do it without guidance, you're still eating a lot of high protein and the protein backs yeah. you up. And okay. the kind, yeah. So there's a, there's a lot. This is why I tell people don't do it yourself. I know you are the best Ferrari you ever have, your body. And I know when you have a Ferrari, you're going to take it to the specialist who knows knows the vehicle because you've spent and your health is priceless. Don't try to do these things just because you went online and learned. For you, it was a personal experience. You've then you went on and you realized, you know, there's a lot of you had you had inherently in you a logical way of thinking. Not everybody's wired that way. Um, a lot of times people just blindly believe that their doctor knows everything. Correct. Correct. And um, that's very important. So just to give a good rundown for um, type 1 diabetics, what does your uh, food intake look like in a day? I have a shake in the morning. Um, and that morning usually it could be anywhere from 6 to 8, depending on when I get started, but somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. That then tells me I'm going to eat maybe noon or 2. Mm -hmm. I make, uh, you know, I think it's on the internet everywhere, Ford seed cracker, you know, with the chia and mm -hmm. sunflower sesame and pumpkin seeds. So I have those crackers. I'll either have a piece of that with some almond butter or I still eat cheese as far as that's the only dairy I have, but it's well-aged and it's artisan. I've got a, I've, I've got a connection here. <laughs> <clears throat> I get some beautiful made padana here. So I eat a little bit of that. Um, and, and that holds me over generally till supper. Mm -hmm. Um, then supper, all uh, you were talking about protein. I, I keep it to the size of the palm of my hand. Uh, I always get a kick out of my clients, but they make a 16-ounce steak. Well, that doesn't mean you're supposed to eat it all, right? Exactly, yeah. So, you know, and I give them this little correlation. If you take that and make a fist out of it, that's the size of your stomach. You only have that much acid for that much protein. Yeah. Right? So you've, you've got an issue if you overdo that, right? Anyways, then I'll have uh, either a stir-fry of vegetables, uh, salad, um, or stir fry of vegetables and maybe a little bit of fruit, little cantaloupe or something, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then that takes me right to the evening just before I go to bed. And then I usually have a bar and that's it. 
Yeah. So that's a great one for a type 1 diabetic because you have to uh, artificially maintain your glucose level. It's not automated. Mm-hmm. Whereas in type 2 diabetics, I take away the vitamins. They don't need one because their body right. will, will get rid that's of right. it. From, and that's the only reason I eat it at night. Yes, I right? know. But I, I will it. say... I will say for a lot of other people that aren't diabetic, they eat that bar at night and they get the best sleep they've ever had. Okay. Yeah, that, that could be because they're still fluctuating. A lot of times, uh, giving that rest to the system, the gastrointestinal tract, the brain, the cleansing of the dead cells, the broken down DNA is much more efficient mm-hmm. than when you're constantly giving the system some food. So in many ways, type 1 diabetics have to figure out what works well for them. Um, right. the, uh, I think the continuous glucose... But I would rather continue. fast when I'm conscious than unconscious. Correct. I think in type 1 <laughs> diabetics, I totally agree. I'd rather have them do a bedtime snap because I don't. It, it should not be the yeah. last sleep that they had. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, it's, it's, I'd, I'd rather fast when I'm conscious. Yeah, I would say fa- do your fasting in the daytime when you're able yeah. to actually um, manage it rather than um, when you're going to bed. So totally. Exactly. Uh, and also know. also exercise too. I try to exercise in the front half of the day. Yes. Because and that's how uh, exercise you, should be because your cortisol anyway is higher than you have much more energy, energy. you can expand because you're automatically, um, if there's any storage of sugar, which there is if you're using insulin, you can utilize all of that. So yes. I, I think the really the key lesson with your journey has been to really ask questions. Of course, you spent 15 years uh, before you decided you were going to change things. I would say tell people. Well, it, was, it, was, uh, it was a little longer than that before I was actually able to change things. It was about seven years ago. So I was about right. uh, 20, what do we got there? 25 years. 25 years. Out of whack. Right. And that's usually the time frame for most people. Like for me as a physician, I switched the way I treat people. It took me 22 years. So we're very slow learners, all of us, right? We take, <laughs> exactly. we take, uh, we do, we have to do a mistake so many times to say, oh, this doesn't work, but this is what I was told was going to work. This doesn't work. Does it really not work? I mean, literally 90 days is enough. If something is not working, it's not going to work in the first 90 days. That's my rule. And even when I work with patients, I work with them only for 90 days. If I can get them to do something that they're supposed to do, or if I don't get the results in the right direction, 90 days is the time I give people to work with me. And a lot of times, it usually it works. If you know, if you can do the testing, you know the person. And today, like I told you before we started on, genetic testing, the nutrigenomics is very useful to know what foods actually work for you. Uh, getting your gut tested is very useful yeah. and making sure your metabolic panel is also done is very useful. You got to put this together. I call it the blueprint right. and then create a plan. This is like looking at your financial health. You're looking at your health health and yep. then saying, okay, this is the direction and it will change as you bigger, the body begins to age and you have to make those adjustments. Right. So um, I, I, I believe, though, my, my firm belief is for every type 1 diabetic out there, if you're not on an autoimmune protocol or an autoimmune paleo diet, you're never going to get your stuff under control. And the reason for that is type 1 diabetes is autoimmune. When you have one autoimmune disease, it's 50 to 60% chances that immune system is attacking something else at this point. And, and let's ask that question. Why is that? Statistically, genetically, that's impossible if it's just genetics. So what keeps ringing our bell? We're not right. dealing with the gut issues properly. 
Yeah, not, yep, yep, totally. And our environment has changed and we are not ready to deal with our new environment. Maybe the next generation will, but we're not ready. And so we're manifesting diseases. It doesn't mean it runs in the family, it just runs in your environment where your family lives. So I, I guess you'd have to change what Hopefully you do. Hopefully come out with a podcast disease. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah. And a lot of times I think one of the, I, I really this lesson, the take-home lesson, if I didn't ask you a question and you wish I asked you, what would that be? How do I feel? So how do you feel? Marvelous. And, and that's what I think. Uh, that's that's the message everybody has to. You know, I I, I follow a few feeds uh, on Facebook, and I hear a lot of I hate this disease. Yeah. I want somebody to take it away. This is painful. It doesn't have to be. That's a great message. This, uh, you can get this under control. It's not that big of a deal. Um, I, I I keep things handy, so I have. If I go on a road trip, I pack all my own food. I have not eaten in a restaurant in seven years. And I won't. I refuse to. But with a little bit of coordination and planning, you never need to anyways. Correct. Restaurants is a new concept. Right? We spent how many millions of years making our own food? You know? Um, so that, it, the, the key element there is have stuff prepped so you don't make that slip up and reach for something you shouldn't be grabbing. Correct. All right? Yeah. Or... You had to wait too long because something wasn't prepped and then you did dip a little bit low and now you've got to do a correction, right? If you have that stuff prepped, I know it can't be done all the time, but you can do it at least 95% of the time, right? right. So I have bars ready. Uh, I have a muffin recipe that I, that I came up with. It's coconut flour and eggs and lots of chocolate, right? It's a chocolate uh, uh, chunky monkey muffins, I call them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and the shake. You know, and you can you can alter those a little bit, change their flavors and everything else. And and then the other foods that are in there is pretty much what I eat for supper. Sometimes I'll have eggs in the morning, um, change it up a little bit. But I notice my day is never the same without the shake. Because that just flatlines me for such a long period of time. And this is where most type ones are frustrated is they're always eating. Yes. I can show you how not to be that way. <laughs> Right. Not to be revolving around your sugars and food. Exactly. Um, exactly. Having a having almost a normal. You ask me how how do I feel? I almost feel normal. Yeah. I say almost because I still take insulin and I still got to do all this other stuff. But you know what? To be honest with you, the non-diabetic should be doing the same thing, not taking yep. insulin, but taking care of themselves. Right. Absolutely. So it's just a standard set of things that need to be done. Um, but there is a way to do it, and it's not the way your endocrinologist. And your dietitian are teaching you. It's not going to work. There's very few of them I've ever seen. I wish more. I wish more endos were diabetics. We wouldn't be. We wouldn't be doing no, it. You would be surprised. They would do the same thing that they're offering to you. I. I, no, I really I try that. to tell. I tell people this all the time. Doctors don't mean harm. They don't go to school to, pre, uh, you know, deliver harm to anybody. It's this is what we're taught. Whether it be an oncologist, whether it be an endocrinologist. I remember taking that information, the studies were golden for me. Now I realize every study I look, I look only for the physiology and biochemistry. I no longer look for treatments because it's the most bogus thing I ever see when they say, oh, you don't need omega-3s, you don't need vitamin D, you don't need um, 
you know, these phytonutrients, you can eat just meat and be fine. It's, it's mind blown, blowing how these studies are funded, how they are done. And the information for management is inaccurate because the number one thing that we're missing today is we still do not know how the body fully functions. Right. But we're trying but the, to but the doctors you're taught. I mentioned this to my doctor. You, you, I said, I'm in awe of you guys. Cause you go to school for seven, maybe 12 years. If you're doing a specialty, right. Um, you know, you, you learn the, I, I talk in layman's language. You learn the electrical system. You learn the plumbing system. You learn the support system, the, right. the, the foundation. How many years of fuel training did you take? That is basically the biochemistry. Uh, exactly. Uh, where's, where, yeah, where, where does the biochemistry come from? It comes from the fuel. Yeah. So you've got a race car here, but you don't know what to put in it. Right. Absolutely. And you don't even think that what you're putting in it has an effect on it. That's but the worst me, part. Let me tell you, as a patient, one of the things you have to remember, when a physician finishes training in medical school and residency, they just graduated kindergarten. But we're treating them like PhDs. Do you understand? Each right. decade, they, they get better if they're willing to assimilate the new information that is different. you got to ask different questions to get different answers. Yeah. For me as a physician, around the 15th year of my practice, I asked that question. I am doing, I'm giving every diabetic metformin, I'm giving them a statin, I'm giving them an aspirin, I'm giving them an ACE inhibitor, which is to protect the kidneys, which you took the Acupril. Why are they getting a heart attack? Isn't that my job to prevent a heart attack? Isn't that why we're doing all of this? I wasn't because I never addressed the root cause of right. why they became a diabetic. And in the type one, we can address the root cause. You just don't have the cells, so you have to give insulin. But you can also make sure that their sugars don't fluctuate. And can we? We still got to shut the fire off. Yes, you got to imitate nature. We got to shut down the inflammation. We got to shut the fire off. Otherwise, we're right. going to get more. Exactly. We're going to get more more complication. And when you're inflamed, you cannot control your blood sugar properly. And I think that's very important for people to understand just because we've gone to medical school and this is important for doctors. A lot of doctors feel, I, I mean, I, I can start Facebook group wars if I make up statement and I try to keep my mouth shut. But a lot of times, unfortunately, they are rendering poor advice for themselves. I've seen doctors actually ask, what can I do? I, I so-and-so in my family has autoimmune and they're throwing in the steroid, they're throwing in the anti-cancer agents. It's like, stop, guys, look at it. It is a gut issue. Fix the yeah. gut. But Fix that's the gut. a that's a foreign concept. We're literally told we spent, I would say, hundreds of thousands of dollars to learn the wrong information. And our only information is how do you diagnose the disease? How do you connect it to a drug? And that's what yeah. we're very good at from the get-go. Right. So I think an experience of a patient like you, and then now you are trying to get this because you can actually relate to a type 1 diabetic better than I can. Mm -hmm. I may know the science and I may know the goofy science of it because I'm looking at it from functional medical approach. Right. But if somebody is listening to this and says, hey, I'm a type 1, but I don't know where to begin, how do they find you? Well, you can reach me at type1simplified.com. Oh, if you mean. are having trouble with, your, yeah. <laughs> if you're if you're having trouble, and, and and that might be a bit of a misnomer. People, as diabetes isn't simple. No, it's not. 
but you can simplify it. You can simplify it. Right? You just need to know how definitely to. can simplify it. And right. and there's a few key things that we talked about a few of them around the bush a little bit. Uh, you know, as well as I know, I need to have that personal history to make a good recommendation to get in there. But I can start with, I've got an all night sleep report that they can download, get on my mailing list. Uh, and the bar recipe is in there. Oh, okay. So you go ahead and try it. Let me know how you like it. Yeah. Uh, and, and use it for your patients. I, I give it freely to everybody to use that recipe. Uh, and, you know, non-diabetics love it. Everybody loves that thing, right? And it gives you great energy. It's actually an energy bar, believe it or yes. not. That I, yes. It's yes. kind of a little bit my like with father. He, he had coffee, I have an energy bar. So we're kind <laughs> of... <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Um, and then I've got, uh, what is it, Type 1 Simplified at Facebook, if you want to join me on there. And also Diabetes... Uh, simplified, which is just kind of a closed group. You can ask to come into that one, and I'll I'll try to give you a little bit of steerage. Without, yeah, yeah. I, I like to have a full history because I don't really like giving advice without knowing a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, you know, the difference between you and me is you can give advice freely. I cannot um, uh, because right. I'm. I have there are regulations against me giving advice. I can be sued for giving the wrong advice. And if they have it on video, and which is why at the end of every podcast, I have the disclaimer. I haven't established a doctor-patient relationship. Anything that we discuss here is not to be construed as medical advice. Yeah. It's basically we're giving you information in a way of thinking a little differently, especially if you're struggling and suffering. Because disease should not be about suffering. It's, it should be about asking the right questions to get the best right answer for your particular state because everybody's different. Um, and I, I, can't, I can't emphasize that enough. Um, I would say thank you so much because this was, this was very useful. And even your journey, I'm, I can tell you, I'm so glad you didn't get to the point where people are psychotic and have in the disease towel. or eyes. Yeah, a lot of Throw in the towel. Yeah. Oh, that's something else. But you just mentioned the eyes. After yeah. making changes, I had uh, I, I've got pictures of the back of my eye that go back many years, right? And when I started this, I started talking to the ophthalmologist about this, and he was kind of eh, whatever. Three years after starting, he went back seven years, and he went, and he's just going through it. It was getting worse, worse, worse. Stopped. Better, better. He said, Did I've never seen anybody. Did he display that or does he, add, did yeah. he ask you any questions? Well, he, he was. He says, I think you're making a believer out of me because I was talking to him about food. Yeah. I said, I yeah, changed yeah, yeah. my food. I changed, I changed everything. Yeah. I said, I stopped the autoimmune reaction. Very right? nice. And he had never seen a set of eyeballs reverse as far as retinopathy or uh, micro ulcers or like there were micro ulcers. The micro angio, the uh, aneurysms. Yeah, they, they'd shriveled up on their own. Yep, yep. Because you're not giving the insulin-like growth factor anymore to them. Well, exactly. And we're also not, you know, pumping all that inflammation into this. Two hundred milligrams of sugar through the bloodstream. Well, the inflammation causes the body to repair itself, and that's where these aneurysms come. Stop the inflammation; it doesn't need to repair itself and create nonsense. And I yeah. think. That's the bottom line is stop treating symptoms, get to the root cause, uproot it, rebuild your health and figure out how to do it. And sometimes, and I, I would say all the time, get some guidance. Now, I know you came from 
a, a non-information um, era to now an information era. But yeah. so it took you a longer time. Today, if you're really keeping your eyes open, you don't need to be sick more than 90 days. The only reason you are awesome, is because you're making a choice to do that. It's as simple as that. I, I know I'm, I probably would be on a thousand people's hit list for saying The that. last thing I'll leave you with is this. I had my housekeeper come to me in desperation because she had somebody else that she was, uh, you know, takes care of their house. And, and our town's kind of a retirement town, so there's a lot of seniors yeah. here. So she introduced me to this guy. He was 89 years old. He's a pioneer of the area, pilot, engineer. Like, yeah. we just hit it off on all levels, right? He'd had that. Uh, section taken out of him. He'd been to nine doctors in Calgary. He'd been to the Mayo Clinic. He'd been 15 years and he was living in a diaper wow. and his house coat. So he was suspicious. He said, I've spent a hundred thousand at Mayo. I spent this over here because he had money, right? He was trying to get his health back, right? And I said, we're going to change your diet. So I don't believe it. And I said, well, then don't pay me until you see a result. Mm-hmm. He paid me double my asking price. Yeah. When it was all said and done. Five days I had him healed up. He was, you know, actually forming a, a proper stool. His doctor quit talking to him because his doctor was checking in on him every day, expecting him to die at any time. And then he just quit talking to him for like two weeks and then they had a little conversation. He said, Well, if it's working, then just keep doing it. But I'm gonna keep checking your blood levels. And everything is perfect. He's gotten off medications. He was on blood pressure medications. He had to get off them because his blood pressure dropped. Mm -hmm. His blood pressure is now like 110 over 60, like constantly. And he just turned 90 October 6th. Yeah. So yep. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, you can make changes and you don't have to fight and live with chronic disease if you find the answers. Exactly. You don't have to die slowly. You no. don't have to die over the years. And I, I want I compressed morbidity. I want to be walking along and not see it coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's that's exactly how everybody wants, but there's a way to do that. And I think your message really uh, should resonate with a lot of people struggling. And so I really appreciate you having come uh, found us and um, really taking the time to come and talk to us and share this information. Well, thank you for having me on your show. I, I enjoy your show so much. Thank you. Alrighty then, if you've listened to this podcast fully, I would like to hope you have gained some new knowledge, a different way of thinking, and have benefited from it. If so, would you please do me a favor and share this with your family and friends? I do, however, want to mention that nothing that is stated in this podcast or written in the show notes should be construed as medical advice. We would like you as an individual to seek your medical advice from your specific provider. Our goal has all along been to dig into some existing truths, try and make it simple, so we all have a better understanding of our options out there to live fulfilling lives. It may be also prudent for me to mention the obvious here that no doctor-patient relationship was ever formed. In closing, I am grateful that you joined us and please do not forget to leave a review or share this info. Signing off till next time, I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Chalam.